Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Well, we're still in the middle of some kind of crazy and uncertain times. Thank you guys that are here uh, in-house for your your courage to brave the elements, to be here. And then for those of you that still just find the best thing for your family is to hunker down and be where you're at. We just understand that we're all just trying to figure out how things are supposed to look and what things are supposed to be about. But one thing in the midst of all the uncertainties that just feel like God is doing is that this is a time that it, it seems like in many ways we can't do this, we can't do that. I spend a lot of time on airplanes, traveling to do missions work all over the world, and I'm grounded, you know? It's like I feel like I'm being punished. I can't go anywhere, and Zoom is um, Zoom fatigue is actually a thing now, right? Because everybody's like over it, like over it, and we kind of thought, hey, it's opening up, like we're getting there, and then all of a sudden the cases spike, and, and nobody knows what. We just don't know. There's so much that we don't know. But I think that one thing is true about this season, and that is that God doesn't waste any time. Even when the things around us are looking confusing and uncertain and frustrating and and not in a rhythm that we would normally be about, I think those are the times where God goes to extra lengths to make sure that we're being prepared for something that we can't see and something that that we don't understand. And so um, that fits right along with kind of where Chris is taking us this summer, just talking about being stronger. And Chris and Casey are on vacation with their family this week, so pray for them. This has been um, as an unprecedented time for everybody, but especially for for leaders of church trying to figure out how do you continue to to serve the people that that God's brought to the Renaissance family and moving everything online and moving everything. And um, Chris and Casey have done an amazing job leading us, and we're so grateful for them. And so they are hopefully resting this week with their family. So be praying for them. Um, They'll be back next week. But this morning, I get the privilege of of starting off this new series called Stronger, because what we want to see happen is that during this time, what can we find God doing that we can really lean into so that when we come out of this, whatever this is, however long this is, that we come through it, we come through the valley of the shadow, right? We don't want to hang out there. We're passing through. And so we believe that about this season. And so how do we see God at work? How can we become stronger in this time so that we're more prepared and better ready even for whatever God wants to lead us to next than we've ever been before? And it got me thinking about this. You know, I think Christianity's got smarter and smarter in recent years, like access to podcasts. And you can basically get a seminary education online for free from all the articles that you can download and all the books that you can read. And even now, there used to be a season where Christianity was considered anti-intellectual and only people who weren't very smart would believe that there's this cosmic creator. But more recently, what's actually become true is that we have Christian intellectuals who are making incredible arguments and apologies 
apologetics have never been stronger. And, and Christian scientists are able to go, actually, all of this is really also consistent with the God of the Bible. And I think that there's never been a time where we've had more information in our repertoire than, than right now. An emphasis on discipleship has been really important to make sure that we know more than just showing up to church and Jesus loves me, this I know, even though that is incredibly important to know. But we've added to that and, and we hear and, and use words and maybe you've used these words and you can just rattle off information about salvation, justification, propitiation, substitutionary atonement, and regeneration. Or, or maybe you wor use words uh, to describe your faith like, well, I'm complementarian or this is my ecclesiology or this is my eschatology. You may be better at, maybe you can translate Greek, maybe you can parse Hebrew, maybe you have access, maybe you, you probably know a lot more than I do because you're smarter like this, you're smarter than me for sure. And this information is so readily available if you want it. And I think it's good. I think it's good to grow in wisdom and knowledge and maturity. But maturity in our faith isn't just about how much we know. It's not about what we can argue. It's not about what we are able to defend. It's not being able to impress people with how smart I am or to destroy people with better arguments than what people on the other side of issues have. And our society has quickly fallen into this massive us versus them, whether it's politics or race or ethnicity or sports or, or vaccinations or organic foods or essential oils or guns or um, news sources. Like everywhere you look, there's us and them. And if you're not with me, you're against me. And there seems to be, if you don't ride with my preferences, then we have this divide between us. And it seems to be everywhere that we look. And it just looks like nobody's really listening to listen anymore. Everybody's just listening to, to win an argument and to make sure that their position is justified so they feel strong in the knowledge that they have. But I believe that leadership, I especially believe that Christian leadership and maturity, it's not just about learning, though that's very important, it, it's learning that comes from listening, and then from listening, you respond to the things that you've heard in a way that represent Christ really well. And if we lose that listening, if we lose the honoring people who disagree from us, how do we expect there, be any, there to be any opportunity for bridges to be built to people with different opinions, different convictions, different faiths even, than us? An argument does not win people. The Bible says that love wins people. Ironically, Jesus never said that we should be known by our public opinions or our decisive arguments. It's like our Facebook wars, like put another notch on your belt because I demolished that argument. The Bible doesn't say, hey, that's how God measures success in our faith in our Christianity. He never instructed us to shame and condemn everybody who disagrees with us. He never said we should be known by fear and paranoia. He said we should be known for our love. Full stop. That's it. You should be known for the love that you have and not just for the people that are like you, not for the same people that are on the same team as you, but for all people. That we should be known for our love. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the thumbs tweet. Out of the overflow of the heart, our Facebook rants. Like these are all indications of what's inside coming out. And I just wonder if part of our stronger is like, what if we 
worked harder on the overflow of our heart being love for the people in this world. Grace, compassion, mercy, friendship, loving your neighbor in a way that invites people in, makes them feel safe, rather than divides everybody and makes sure that we're all on separate sides of every argument that there could be. So as we're looking at this idea of stronger, I want us to start that, I just want us to be reminded of a couple things. Number one, we are not the first people to live through a disease pandemic that was really bad. Like some people are saying this one may be the worst ever by the time all is said and done. We don't know, it's possible. But we're not the first people whose world has been devastated and come to a screeching halt because of a disease pandemic. We're not the first. We're not the first society and culture to be in the midst of racial wars and tensions and ethnicity disputes. We're not the same for thousands and thousands of years. These situations, these are not new things. And actually, if you do a little bit of digging in to the context that Jesus's ministry was done in, it was at a very uncertain time. So when Jesus was traveling and the words that we have in the Bible and the gospel spoken by Jesus, he was speaking those things at times of very uncertain political situations. He was speaking those things where there was ethnicity disputes. Like it wasn't just all sunshine and roses when Jesus was instructing. He was giving instructions that were incredibly applicable to difficult situations like we find ourselves in today. So in him, we see ways to get stronger, especially in times like this. So it's, it's like these words have never been more necessary for us as a culture, as people of faith. And I wanna challenge us to get Get beyond a couple things as we're getting stronger because as we've been focusing on, on information and discipleship and growing and, and wisdom, and those things are good, but the Bible also says we have to be careful because knowledge can just puff us up. If all we're doing is acquiring knowledge and using big church words and then we're, we're focusing on our faith through the transaction, only through the transaction of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, which is of the utmost importance we're still missing some very important elements of our faith. And it's not just about religious do's and don'ts. It's not about knowledge and wisdom. It's not just spiritual disciplines. It's not um, spiritual exercises. It's not Holy Spirit feelings. All these things are a part of it, but growth should include some other things as well. And when we look at Jesus, more than any other way, when he talked about God, he talked about God as Father, ironically for us here on Father's Day. More than any other, when Jesus would talk about God, he would say, my Father, my Father. And so it's like, yes, it's all about all of these instructions and, and all these ways to follow and knowledge and theology and um, convictions and the Holy Spirit. And we want all of those things. But in the midst of all of those things, the way that we actually get stronger is we don't neglect the part of our faith that is an actual living, breathing relationship with the creator of the universe, whom Jesus told us to relate to as father. So I want us to dig into that just a little bit as we just kind of work our way through the rest of the teaching today. You're, gonna get, you're not going to get cheated on Bible verses today. I want to make sure. I know it's been a long time since we've been able to get together in, in church and know a lot of people are online. So I just want to make sure you're getting your money's worth today. We're going to get a lot of Bible today. I hope that's okay. Like that's, that's why you came, right? All right, good. That's why you tuned in. Good. All right, so... 
first of all, what I want us to do is this. I just want us to look, and man, there are so many passages and verses. It's really hard for this not to be a three-hour sermon. In fact, it may still be, so I hope you packed a lunch, because there's a lot of information, but I, I'm fighting really hard. Like, I just want to give us an overview, right? So this is just scratching the surface of looking in to how Jesus experienced God the Father and in seeing how he experiences God the Father. It's also an invitation for how we can experience God the Father. And so from the position where we are, the question going forward is just like, am I experiencing God in these ways? Or am I experiencing God in things that I'm supposed to do? A way that I'm supposed to live? Religious practices and spiritual, like, is it just that or am I experiencing God as Father? And so the first way that we see Jesus relating to the Father is that Jesus found acceptance in the Father. Do you know that you cannot earn God's approval? He's just given it to you. For those who are his, his acceptance is part of receiving faith. He, he's not more loving towards you because of things that you do for him. And in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water and the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Have you experienced that emotion from the father? Have you been able to say, God has looked at me and embraced me and his words over you are, I'm so pleased with you. I'm so well pleased with you. Jesus was accepted by the Father. We see that Jesus was under the authority of the Father. John 14, 31 says, on the contrary, so that the world may know the love uh, that I love the Father, I do as the Father has commanded me. Do we find ourselves lining up under the authority of God and it's not problematic? because we know that he's God and we know that he's good and we've seen enough. Because we're accepted, we come to him. Jesus also was, he was accepted by him, but then he also served under the authority of God the Father because it was a better authority than anything that he could have done on his own. The same is true for us. You know what our own authority in spiritual matters counts for? Nothing. It's not about us, it's about the authority that we experience, the authority that we get to serve under, the perfect authority of God the Father. I love this part. You know, the disciples are responsible for us having the, the New Testament as we know it. They're, we're following their example for the way that we still meet together as church, and so we have a tendency to think, man, these guys must have been amazing. But when you look in the scriptures, what we find about these guys is like, they were pretty jacked up. Like, they didn't understand anything. Right up until the time Jesus ascended back into heaven, they were still confused about what they should be doing. And like, so what was that? And then they were just, they were getting it wrong time after time. But I love their honesty and their vulnerability. And they were able to just come to Jesus and go, hey, so uh, when you said that, did you really mean that? Was that something? Do you find that same permission that when you read something or you see something, in your faith, that you're able to go to God and just go, I don't really get that. Does it make any sense? Or do we just take it at face value? Are you able to lean in? Are you able to ask questions? Are you able to struggle? You have permission to do those things. And one of the things that the disciples said at one point, is like, hey, um, we saw you praying over there. Could you teach us how to pray? And he said, absolutely. 
And it wasn't this big, drawn-out, long, theological-sounding prayer. And I just want to start this first part in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. What was the starting place for Jesus? It was our Father. In this, he's able to approach God. Not as distant cosmic creator a billion miles away and God I hope you hear me or I hope you're not too busy but he start he encourages us to start right here approach prayer starting with father the bible says that he's waiting he's inviting that he never gets tired of his children coming and and crying out to him he never gets sick of our questions he never gets sick of our prayers he's much better father than me because i have a ceiling right and but god says i'm not like that keep him coming keep coming keep leading with father and, and prayer is not just something that we're supposed to do on our spiritual checklist. It's about entering into the relationship that we have with God the Father. It's communication, it's speaking, and it's listening, and it's living, and it's breathing. And our prayer experience should reflect our trust in God as Father as we approach him in these ways. I love in John 11, Jesus said, this is, this is after Jesus was praying for Lazarus to be raised for the dead. That's a pretty significant prayer. And Lazarus did rise from the dead, walked out of a tomb. And Jesus' statement, he said, Father, thank you that you heard me. I just want us to remember, God hears every prayer. He invite, he's waiting and wanting us to come to him as a child comes to a father, trusting him, in prayer. And then there's more. He acts from what he has seen in the Father. John chapter 5 says, The Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Isn't that cool? You got a Father that wants you to be amazed at what he can do when you're working with him. Because you and I have no idea what we're capable of. We have no idea of the potential that we actually have when we catalyze that under the authority of the Father. And Jesus understood that. He came under the Father and he understood that the actions that he was able to do were made possible out of an overflow of his relationship with the Father. So the things that you're dreaming about, maybe even getting through this pandemic or maybe other struggles that have presented themselves along the way, you may be thinking like, I can't get through this. And the answer to that question might be, you're right, you can't. But aren't you glad you have a father who loves you and knows you and is inviting you into this relationship where he's gonna take care of all the things that you can't take care of? Jesus shows us that we can put into action the things that we're seeing in the Father. And those things, when we do that, that life of obedience will drop little seeds of activity that are gonna amaze you when they start to grow up. That's an invitation for all of us. The last bit of this section is just, he abides in the will of the Father. Even at the most difficult time of Jesus' life, where he was facing the cross and it was coming in just a matter of hours, when he was having strong moments of like, this is gonna be intense. I don't know if I can do this. From a human perspective, he cried out to God 
And he trusted God even in the hardest of times. And he was able to say, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He had this relationship. And it's showing us what we can have. It's showing us what we can have. We can have acceptance. We can live under authority. We can approach God in prayer. We can act on what he's seen and we can abide in that will. And so the question is, why do some of those things seem so hard for us? Why are they so distant? Why isn't that kind of normal? And all of these things remind us that religion isn't enough. God is inviting us into relationship. This is not about how successful of a Christian you can be. It's about knowing him and being known by him. And I just want us to keep asking this question. Can you say that of your experience with God? I know him. I'm known by him. I'm accepted by him. I've experienced his authority. I've approached him in prayer, right? There's all of these opportunities and I've seen him act through me in ways. Those are realities that all of us can have. So what keeps us? Why don't we see more fruit from that kind of activity in our lives? And I wanna introduce a different idea here and I wanna talk for a minute about the orphan curse. The orphan curse. Here's the thing about all of this. If God created us, then why do we need to be invited into his family, right? Because when we have kids biologically, you don't have to invite them to be part of your family. Some of the kids are going like, yeah, I absolutely did not have a choice. I was born into this and now I'm stuck here and I wish I could audible in some way, shape or form. But biologically, you didn't get to choose your family. You were just born into it. You're born your family. That's important for us to understand because we find ourselves right now with God inviting us into a relationship that doesn't sound like biological relationship. That doesn't sound like born into the family of God. Why didn't I just automatically get that status? And the reason is this, because back in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve chose to remove themselves from the perfect family relationship that God had created them for. They were deceived, they believed a lie, and they sold out all of those beautiful things that God had invited them into for something that they really wanted to do. Because what they wanted was more important than their relationship with God. And the consequence of that is that they were removed. They removed themselves from the biological family of God. It's like, that sounds really strong. It's really strong. The Bible uses really strong language. It says that every person born after Genesis chapter three was actually born into sin. You and I, our biology is our sinful nature. Psalm 51 says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. That's going back pretty far. From before the beginning, our biology is our sinful nature that removed people from the family of God. Psalm 58 says, the wicked go astray from the womb. Liars wander about from birth. Do you know that nobody has to teach you how to lie? You come that way. You come knowing. You come with that desire to fend for yourself. There's a lot of other things that come with it that are good. But there's struggle there. Because of sin, you and I are all born as spiritual orphans. 
separated from God because of sin. This idea, though, makes some other things make sense. In John chapter three, when Nicodemus famously asked Jesus what he must do to be saved, and he looks at Nicodemus and he goes, hey, you need to be born again. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, I've already been born. How can I be born again? Like, I can't go back into my mother's womb and recreate that, and I don't think she would be really excited about that. So what in the world, how do I, well, if you start thinking about it in terms of you were born biologically into sin, and Jesus is inviting you to be born again into his his family, we understand the power of the orphan curse, but more importantly, we're starting to see the power of God to break that curse. God would have been just in just letting the sinful people remain out of his presence, remain out of his family for all of eternity. That would have been just. But what God is, as much as he is just or more than he's just, is he's love and he's gracious and he's merciful. So he doesn't leave us in that sinful condition. And so it sounds strange, but what we need to understand, Nicodemus was being invited into a process of adoption. He was being invited into a process of adoption. In John chapter one, it says this about Jesus coming. It says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were, not, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Notice here, this is really important. You cannot be born a Christian. You're not a Christian just because your parents were Christians. You're not a Christian because your grandparents are Christians. Everyone is born sinful. Everyone is born separated from God. So it is for every person to respond to the invitation to come into the family of God. We were all spiritual orphans at one time. But God, who's rich in mercy, wasn't content to let us stay that way. And adoption is the picture that the Bible teaches is the only way to experience this reality of God being your father. A couple really significant passages. Galatians 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. The picture of salvation is not just about what you believe so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can spend eternity in heaven, which also happens, but it's more than that because it's an invitation right now to be in a real relationship with God who is your father, who is inviting you into his family so that you have a place where you know you belong, where you have a family that's accepting you, where you have an identity that's different than anything that you've ever experienced before so you can flourish and, and bloom into what you are actually meant to be, sin not rob that opportunity from you. In Romans chapter eight, it says, for you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and of God's children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And so it's not shying away from this reality that being adopted into the family of God doesn't mean there's not gonna be trouble. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be suffering. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be difficulty. It just means you have a people to go through it with. You'll never be alone. That's not what anybody was created for. You were created to belong, belong to God, be accepted as his children. But it's an invitation 
that he's giving, that he's made to you. Real quickly, I wanna share just a little bit of our story. It's like, I have some experience as an adoptive father. And it was something that changed the trajectory of our whole life and how we see God in so many different ways. But the reality is this. Before Holly and I were married, we knew there was a good chance we could never have biological children. So we were starting to feel like, hey, we, way back before then, we'll be married 22 years on Saturday. And it's way back, thank you very much. All that means is like, golly, we're old. Like, when did that happen? But here we are, and we've made it, and nothing but bliss and happiness all along the way. She's married to me, so that's not really it. We joke all the time, I was like, hey, You've been married to three people and they were all me. Like, all, you had no idea what you were signing up for for all of those times. But, but we had to wrestle with this issue of want to be parents. We think that's something God has for us. So we'll just trust that God will allow us to parent children of his choosing in whatever way he wants to. And so we thought adoption was part of that. Four years after we were married, we had a biological uh, presentation in the form of our son, Jacob. And it's like, well, I thought we couldn't do that. And it's like, well, God did that. And so that was amazing. And then, but this idea of adoption, it never left our hearts. And, and when we're talking about the heart of an adoptive father, that's not at the expense of adoptive mother or motherhood, because God's perfect fatherhood is also inclusive of motherhood traits. So it's not a discriminatory saying to say that it's inclusive of all of the characteristics of mother and father. And so when I, I have that in mind when I'm, I'm using this. But you know, here's the thing about adoption, guys. Adoption, it doesn't just happen. It's not just like, oh, let's just go adopt some kids. It's gonna be amazing. Adoption is a far greater journey and experience than a lot of people realize. We saved and raised money for about four years to be able to have what it was gonna cost us for, uh, to pursue the, the adoption a year before it was time to go. We had house studies, FBI background checks. You gotta get permission from the US government to bring kids from a different country home. It cost thousands of dollars and mountains of paperwork. And you go one place and the law changed and you got to go over here and fill out this document. Oh, you got, we literally was like, that's the wrong kind of stamp. We updated it six weeks ago and you got the old stamp. So you got to start this whole bit all over again. And it's like, good. Like it was just like such a beating and, and it was just this process. And then once we got that all done, we sent it over to Ukraine and it's like, hey, we're just waiting. When can we come? Like we're ready. We've been approved. Everything's looking good. We're, we're, we're there. We're ready. And then you wait and wait and wait. And they send you a letter and got invited to go and, and travel. And, and so there came a point in time, guys, where we literally left our world we got on an airplane and flew half a world away to a culture that we didn't speak the language or we didn't understand anything, and we went to show up. So there was planning, and then there was going, and then there was showing up, and then there was a breakdown in the kind of part disorganization and part corruption and what we were approved for adoption-wise. Like, they were like, sorry, we don't have any kids. And we're like, you have tens of thousands of orphans in this country. We're going home with some. Like, you invited us to come here 
like, it wasn't a surprise. You invited us. Here was the parameters. Here's what you said. They didn't abide by that agreement. So while we were there, we had to open our um, idea a little bit more and be open to whatever God wanted. We thought we were going for uh, one child under two or maybe two under four. And they were like, sorry, we don't have any of that. So we're just like, hey, we'll open this thing up because we just feel that this is where God's called us. We're not gonna go home empty-handed. And so we went on this journey, right? And it's like, there's no kids, there's no kids, there's no kids. And we saw firsthand the reality of oppression and the reality of corruption. And we understood that the Bible talks about there being a fowler snare that's a really real thing, that there's a, an oppressive reality that makes orphans orphans. Do you, I believe with all of my heart that children, it was not, never the will of God for children to be orphans. It is God's plan for children to be raised by their biological parents. The only thing that screwed that up is sin that came and made orphans orphan. It doesn't matter if an orphan is orphan in Fort Bend County. It doesn't matter if it's Ukraine. It's the same thing that outside just things that got out of control and put these kids in situations that they never should have been in. But then one of the most amazing things is God raising up people who are not okay that there's kids stuck in those situations. And people are going and rescuing. And so we got to be part of that. And then after, golly, four weeks, we saw, finally saw a picture of our girls and immediately we were like, that's our family, we're going after them. And so we went and we met them. And it's like, we met at the beach. There's a beach, it's now, anyway. It's gonna be a long story if I don't keep going. So we met. And then, like, the next day, we were like, so, you want to be our daughters? <laughs> like, we met. The next day, do you want to be adopted by us? We're really awesome. Like, <laughs> you should totally come spend the rest of your life with these two strangers who that if you say yes, you're gonna, we're going to take you halfway around the world from everything that you've ever known, but it's going to be awesome. It's gonna be great. And they said yes. Like, why wouldn't you agree to live the rest of your life with two perfect strangers, right? Who just raised some money and filled out some paperwork. And so we did that. And they said yes, and it was this amazing thing. But what I wanna tell you is that we then entered into a process where it wasn't that easy because we ran into obstacles. We ran into a corrupt orphanage director who didn't want our girls to have their freedom. She opposed our adoption every step of the way. We ran into deception, we ran into lies. Jacob got incredibly sick one night, we thought he was gonna die. It was, un we just, in going, in the adoption process, there was resistance. There was a battle, trying to keep the things that were messed up, messed up. And had we not had the power of God, the authority of God, we had strangers who didn't believe in God going, only God could have done that for you. We lived out the reality of that. We could talk so much more and so much longer, but I don't have time. But there, it culminated in uh, we won. I mean, our daughters are here. Uh, it was 10 years ago. Seems like a long time ago. But sometimes it's, but it formed who we are. And there was this day where we went to court and, oh, don't even get me started. So we went to court. The guy in his alligator shoes, like, I just can't. So they, they we won. 
and we got all the documents and everything that we had prepared for was legally done. And we went to this other office. So then it was two more weeks of legal documents. But we went to this one government office and I watched on this Ukrainian official document. And on that day, our girls were literally born again because they, they got a new birth certificate that had their name at the top. And then it had Holly and I's name in Ukrainian written on their birth certificate. And it said father and it said mother. They were born again. And I just, I wept in that office. And I was overcome by the reality that this is what God does for us. This is the invitation. And I just want us to have the opportunity and to remember a couple things in closing here. The curse of the orphan is a reality that everybody lives in because our sinful nature is strong. And God's inviting us to just come and experience all of these things. And it's like, you, at the beginning, you can't know. You can't know, but you have to step into it and you have to trust. And you have this opportunity to enter into his family. And then it begins a process. And then you live in this tension of these two worlds. The sin that you were born into and the righteousness of God and it battles back and forth. So it's not always easy. But all I want us to say is that keep coming, keep stepping. The God who was all of those things for you, he, was, he had a plan for you just like we had, a, we had a plan for our girls that was way bigger and wider than they ever knew or could understand. There comes a time where he came for us, like he has pursued you, he's come to you, he's invited you to be into his family. He paid the price with the blood of his son. That's a price that we can never repay and nor should we want to, it's a gift. It's just what God has provided to be a part of his family, invite to sin. Um, he paid the price. He helps us grow. He disciplines us. He cares for us because he loves us and he has amazing things in store for us. He'll care for us. He'll come to us and he has everything in control. And so this morning, I just want your invitation to be this. You're invited not just into accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, which I hope that you do. I hope that you've seen enough in God to understand that he's inviting you to believe in him and trust him and receive forgiveness for those sins because of the price he paid on the cross. Beyond that, have you responded to really let your identity be a child of God, complete with the full inheritance, co-heirs with Christ, that's a pretty big inheritance that God said, here, and Jesus very willingly sharing that with you, with us. Jacob was eight and Olivia was eight. He had to make a decision of his own to be like, am I gonna hate these kids that are coming into my house or am I gonna share my parents for the sake of the family? He didn't know what he was doing, but he chose to share. Jesus is choosing to share his inheritance, his relationship with the Father, with anybody willing to lean in and come to God as your Father. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.